0: A cinematic
1: Orchestra podcast. This is Jason Swinscoe from the Cinematic Orchestra. You're listening to a Cinematic Special podcast for Ninja Tune. Coming up, live tracks recorded at the Barbican in May.
2: How you guys feeling out there?
1: Also interviews with
3: Giles Peterson. I think it was called Diabolus. And it ended up on the motion album. But the thing about it was that I was playing it at the wrong speed for the first few weeks. And it sounded great at forty five and at thirty-three. And when I discovered it at the right speed, it really made sense. Eska. All
0: I can be is honest. It's very honest music, very emotional and sincere music and it requires a sincere delivery. Patrick Watson. I don't think any of those guys play hockey, they just play cricket.
1: <laughs> Dom Smith.
4: It's quite beautiful to work with people like that who are so laid-back and easygoing and but at the same time when it comes to the shows it's deadly serious.
5: And Pascal Wise. My name's Pascal Wise and among other things I write for the Guardian newspaper on mostly music. Cinematic
6: Orchestra Podcast.
5: the Cinematic Orchestra CD arrived in the post and even though obviously the name straight away was exciting for me because I'm a big fan as Jason Swinscoe the leader of the band is of a certain era and style of uh, cinema music but still I put the CD on thinking okay they call themselves the Cinematic Orchestra but you know what's it really going to be I mean you hear the word orchestra people think of all kinds of things you know and, and cinematic means a lot of different things to lots of different people but it was immediately a very different production to a lot of the Ninja Tune stuff. I think for them as well, I've read that the cinematic stuff was a kind of departure, it was a bit of an experiment for them. But I know, you know, with the latest album, Ma Fleur, the whole idea of um, cinematic music moved on a bit to more, as I say, thinking about films themselves. So. I know Jason has spoken about, you know, being more influenced now, you know, for that album, by the film itself, but he did get into it, the way he tells it to me, is he got into a bit of a bit of a rut, he got into a bit of a hole, really, what, you know, what a lot of people would call a kind of writer's block, and he wasn't satisfied with the new material he was coming up with, it was, just felt like he was kind of redoing stuff for the sake of it, you know, the, the sort of drive was gone, so...
1: I needed some other kind of stimulus, some other kind of something to kind of direct me a little bit into pinning down what it was that was kind of, I was writing. It needed to make sense and it wasn't really making sense. So I kind of spoke to an old friend who's an art director based in London. asked him if he would listen to the record and if he was interested, would like to write a script potentially for a film or just take it from there and see what happened. So he went away, three weeks later came back, I had this kind of script which you know, it was about six pages long, was kind of quite in detail, track by track. I suppose a narrative of an, uh, a story with characters. <laughs> but,
5: but Jason was kind of freaked out because uh, this, th- this guy who'd written this thing had based it entirely on milk. He was really into milk. He was like... And Jason had just recently given up dairy products and, and he was sort of, look, is this, are you winding me up? Is this a bit of a joke. Are you, this, this thing's about milk. And he was like, no, 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 really. I mean, milk gets into every part of our you know, society. It's really important. It didn't end up being about milk, but I think getting a script based on his music just re-energised the, the process.
1: I suppose that started defining in the ways that I could then re-approach each piece of music. I've been slowly kind of finding a new kind of musical voice as it were laying out track by track the narrative for the story and linking the piece of music to that narrative so it's like piecing together the jigsaw puzzle so it became this kind of really exciting process in light of this it's kind of been the most realized record for that
5: it's really interesting that you've got a line there you've got a guy with his sampler and his record collection loving cinematic music then you've got and him chopping all that up and making, you know, his own music out of it. And then you've got him getting a band together that can do some of that material live. And then with Mafleur it's moved on again because he's got he's no longer just a sampling process, it's he's sampling almost his own music and his own players. Uh, and instead of kind of being about cinema music, it's now almost about film itself and this script. So who knows, maybe this thing will turn into a film one day, but maybe it will be about milk, I don't know.
0: You're listening to a Ninja Tune podcast. For more information, go to ninja tune.net.
1: The title tune for me was the the breaking point. I was very keen to redefine a few things in the sound and especially in the way that the perception of the cinematic orchestra has kind of been defined over the few years of since we've been releasing music. In the Tune Ma fleur there is, as you hear, there's very little reference to a track that's on every day. Everyday was pretty much drum-led, rhythm section led. And uh Mafleur is actually is the opposite of that. It's much more about delicacy, it's about intimacy, it's about kind of um, romanticism. More about kind of dealing with kind of melody and harmony and kind of the subtleties in, in texture and colour. And I suppose in that way it's a little bit more kind of a little bit more ambient, a little bit more kind of laid back.
4: My name's Dominic Smith and I work for Ninja Tune and my job at Ninja Tune is doing A&R. I first met Jason because he worked at Ninja Tune. It was when Ninja Tune was quite a small company so there was only four or five people in the office. And uh, from working together on different records we established an understanding about what we thought was good and bad about music. And then when Jason started to bring in his first demos... It was natural that it was me who kind of worked with him from a label side of things. Well, Jason was really interested in the idea of working with more folky-influenced artists. And uh, we searched and searched for lots of different people. We tried different people, and it wasn't really working. And then, by chance, I was in Montreal, and someone I'm working with played me the music because Patrick is also a hockey player.
2: Hi, I'm Patrick Watson. I met the guys from Ninja Tune playing hockey, actually. And then they ended up calling me up, and they said, well, we need a singer for the gig. And I was like, oh, sure, I'll do some singing, why not? And Jason came over, and we just met that way.
4: I was just blown away. It was one song called um, The Great Escape, which is the name of Patrick's album. At first, I didn't think necessarily of it being with Jason, but I kept listening to it and kept listening to it, and I couldn't put it down. I just sent it to Jason without any comment I just sent him an the mp3 no subject no text and he got back to me going who the hell is this <laughs> and um, the rest is history
2: I just generally like working with a lot of different people all the time so usually when someone from different music of mine asked me to participate I usually have a kick and do it for fun I kind of really enjoy that Jason came from a really different background than me so when we started working together, we had really different ways. Where I, I'm just someone who kind of just improvs and goes, and he's used to like kind of taking things and really, you know, cutting them up and putting them places where I'm very live and just roll tape, you know. So I mean, it's probably very difficult for him at first to get used to it because I'm kind of stubborn. And I just kind of do what I do. But then we started finding our way, and then, I mean, we both, in, in anything, you just kind of find compromises how you work. And I think we found some good stuff that way. It was kind of fun. Music Ox was just improv. And it's like the woman was, during part that, that part of the film in the script, the woman was putting all the jewels on in front of a mirror, old house. Just kind of a little bit of gold, a little bit of pearls. It was kind of trying to make up that scene. But I, I, during, like, during that time, what I thought it was going to be was a full feature film. And we were just kind of doing the soundtrack a bit. So for me, that's kind of how I was picturing writing the words and stuff like that. into you i think in the script there was like his head was supposed to be kind of sinking through hills one day i was driving home on the radio and uh and uh, this is old poet i think i forget her name exactly but from the like, uh, 20th early 20th century and it was really beautiful and i usually don't really like poems that much but this person was reading out these poems from this girl and and as i was driving the the radio kept on disappearing more and more because i was driving away from the signal. So I, I kind of just really fell in love with it, these words and this, these stories. So Into You is kind of about, you know, you're disappearing slowly away, but you're just trying to hold on to it. So it's kind of that song. i
7: singing.
0: My name's Eskima Yeah, I'm a vocalist, and I had the pleasure of working with um, Jason Swinscoe on the last Cinematic Orchestra record. Um, Contributed with some uh, vocal arrangements, some backing vocals. I'd start with my encounter with the music. My brother lent me this CD. He said, yeah, you should check this out. And it was a Cinematic Orchestra every day. I must have had the CD for a bit, but when I eventually got round to putting it in the CD player, I must have been doing something mundane in my room, and uh, suddenly I just was arrested by this music. <laughs> and I remember sitting down at the chair, thinking, "Gosh, this is beautiful," you know. And this ancient voice I was singing really short phrases. And later on, discovered that was on bass and uh when when music has that kind of effect on me i end up calling everybody in (laughs) so i started uh ringing people and getting very emotional oh i'm feeling really 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 moved and uh i was thoroughly hooked after that encounter it's very rare that this has happened where you know, I get to work with someone who I'm actually a fan of. Yeah, you know, that's, that's really weird. It's really weird because you know, you 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 have known their music uh, or an aspect of their music, and and you've lived with it. It's resonated in you, and and, and it's it's moved you. Um, you know, and and uh, it was a real honour to, to to just actually. I didn't, you know, it was a big challenge, actually. You know, I felt like it was a a, a personal challenge. Meeting Jason, I mean, that was really interesting, actually, just because how he integrates words into music is very important. He has a really strong understanding, really excellent understanding of how words fit into music, you know. Really intriguing, actually, and some of his philosophy on that almost like a a painter, you know, putting together a picture. So it was a very, very, very different kind of approach. You know, we just were painting together, you know, that's what it was, it felt like, you know.
1: Everyone's kind of subconsciously heard Rescue Me, you know, the 60s kind of hit, and... The period that I was really interested in was when she was working with her husband, Lester Boy and the Art Ensemble of Chicago. And they did a soundtrack called uh, Les Donces de Sophie. The film was never released, but it was a soundtrack where Fontella was doing lead vocals, and especially one tune that inspired me, was a track called Theme de Yo-Yo. And it was in that spirit of kind of free jazz and kind of funk and gospel that was fused in this piece that inspired me to kind of... Hunt her down and see if she was still alive and if she was interested, and she was. You know, she really enjoyed the the ideas that I had and uh, Phil, the bass player. And I went to St. Louis to work with her. So it was just a it was a good good time, a good kind of meeting and an interesting collaboration for her. You know,
0: voices like that are rare on the planet. My first question was, where did you find her? You know, <laughs> what made you think of Fontella Bass? You know, I mean. I remember asking him this in Paris and him talking about the art ensemble in Chicago and uh, a little bit about Fontaine's history. Just, she's seeped in so much American history, music history, and African American music history. You hear that in her voice. You can't help but, she's one of those voices that just stops you.
5: Fontella I mean Jason uh, told me he was very keen to get her back there was a song that he just felt really was for her and no one else could sing it you know and she had been ill he sat down and told me this story and I could tell just how moved he was by the whole episode with her needing quite a bit of help uh, in terms of just kind of getting to the studio keeping her head together and what she was doing you know needing lots of prompting but you know but he said the minute she sort of walked in she. Yeah, lit up and he said she really hadn't forgotten how to be a star you hear the frailty in the voice and that can't help but resonate with that track because it's about someone looking you know out there towards the end of their life yeah it's a bit of a tearjerker. it gets quite full on if you know the backstory of fontella
3: This is Giles Peterson, and you're listening to a very special Cinematic Orchestra podcast. Yeah, I first came across the Cinematic Orchestra, I don't know when it was, it was at least seven or eight years ago, maybe even longer, and uh, it was a 12-inch that I'd received from Ninja Tunes, and I think it was called Diabolus, and it ended up on the Motion album, but the thing about it was that I was playing it at the wrong speed for the first few weeks, and it sounded great at 45 and at 33, and when I discovered it at the right speed, it really made sense, but... I suppose I was just playing so much sort of up tempo stuff that it was a bit of a change in atmosphere but fantastic and that was really the beginning of um, a strong relationship we've had ever since all the way through. Motion actually won the worldwide winners album of the year in 1999 and um, ever since then it's been one of those bands that has been really important for me at the radio because being on a station like Radio One it's very important that the music that I represent and that I push out does do really well because then it kind of makes my show relevant to a main national radio station. So when groups like the Cinematic Orchestra come along, it's uh, it's really important that you know for my show, for my survival in a way. So it's great to see that a band like Cinematic, which is coming from a pretty out there place, kind of done so well for so long, and um, to have really developed a market not just in the UK but all around the world as well. I've done quite a few shows with the Cinematic Orchestra either sort of through the radio interviews sessions at of Vale live recordings Birmingham we did an amazing one there with Roots Maneuver a few years ago when he did um, All Things Tall Men one of my favourite tracks ever ever um, by the way and we did an amazing concert with them as well in Montreux, the Montreux Jazz Festival, I'll never forget this, which is when the Evolution track came out with um, Fontella Bass, and she'd come all the way over from Chicago or wherever she was living, and she was fire with them. And she was ending up playing percussion, and singing, it was such an amazing concert, and there is footage of that actually, which is the great thing about Montreux, because they film it all, and that is absolutely classic um, footage from the past for the Cinematic Orchestra. The best thing I did with them on this new album was the session at the Maida Vale um, this year. They'd actually not done Maida Vale with me before, which we couldn't believe, actually. We'd done like live recordings and we'd done acoustic stuff, but we'd never done a proper session at Maida Vale with the Cinematic Orchestra. So this year we actually brought an audience in as well, and we made it into a real event. And um, I'd say it was definitely top five sessions of all time, possibly one of the best. I mean, possibly the best that I've done because... They just on the gig the night before at the Barbican, and uh, they were on, they were just in it, they were feeling it, they had Esker there, um, they had Patrick Watson, who is a phenomenal singer as well, I think they've really caught someone absolutely just at the tipping point right now, I think he's going to go real far. And um, basically all those energies came together one afternoon, a Sunday afternoon, at Maida Vale, and, um, and they took the album one step further again I mean they are a great live band and the albums are fantastic Um, very sensitive albums they put that extra Jason puts that extra 10% into his production which you can really feel I think that there's not that many groups in music per se that have got a unique sound and they've managed to find that unique sound and they've managed to almost keep the competition away from them and so they can just keep going at their tempo, and but they've got the finesse, and they've got the... You know, he's deep. He's really deep into his music. And so to do what they did in the studio is one thing, but then to take that into the live context, where they tend to go a little bit more free, it's a bit looser, um, it's more jazz, um, works really well, and uh, the session was amazing.
1: The tour was very successful. We started in... um where did we start? We started in Europe, a couple of festivals. And then we did a quite big show in Paris, and then we travelled through the UK... ...and ended up doing the last show in London, which is at the Barbican... ...which is a very big concert for us. And So it makes us kind of excited for the rest of the year, really. The Barbican concert, I mean, I thought the gig was great.
5: It's a tricky balancing act that cinematic orchestra do, you know... Or ...whilst they use elements of jazz. It's quite contained. There aren't many solos, and they're not very, very long and warbling. They're they're sort of kept to a certain length, and they relate very strongly to the music. They're just a handful of notes, you know. That's why the bass player and the drummer and the richness of those acoustic instruments really helps. And it's, it's a real knack, I think, to write that kind of minimal music which has, like, repeating and repeating phrases which kind of building and building, and keep people with you. For me, it's a little bit like... It's like orbiting a planet you know if you go around once you see you see it when you go around again it's different because you've already seen it once and like listening to Cinematic Orchestra, you have like a riff that goes around and then it comes back, but it'll be different you know it's growing and developing and if you can follow that line and if you can adjust your speed to the way that is you know working, I think it, you know it, it can work
4: It grows from seven to sometimes 13 people on stage. I mean, they're all really nice people and they enjoy touring and all sorts of things and the lifestyle which comes with it. But they all care really dearly about the shows and the playing. And a lot of them are very experienced and talented jazz musicians. It is quite beautiful to work with people like that who are so laid-back and easygoing, and but at the same time, when it comes to the shows, it's deadly serious. You know, they're mathematicians of music but they shock you when you're away with them. But they're just very, very funny, and they you know, do all the things that you'd expect a rock band to do on the road. They, they don't do anything really bad, just for the record.
3: I mean, another thing about the session that was great was when Patrick did To Build A Home live... Um, a great song. I mean, they, that's the other thing about cinematics. They've always had a good sense of composition and um, arrangements together. And on this new album, To Build a Home is a big, big tune, and the live version of that is fantastic.
7: Tables and chairs won by all of This is a place that I don't feel alone This is a place that I go alone You down. And in the garden where we planted the there is a tree as always as me. By the crest of his skin, I climb to the top. I come and dream to see the world When a gust of wind
1: Thank you. We
7: answer that for Patrick Watson.
5: Patrick's songs came across really well, actually. He's got a nice trick, he's got a couple of pedals. The kind of things that you often see guitarists use, you know, delay pedals and sampling pedals, so that he can sort of sing a note and then it'll be ringing on, then he can twist it and turn it, and it creates quite a kind of haunting, almost sort of radio sound, actually, sometimes. His stuff came across really well, yeah, and uh, he looked like he was enjoying himself, I have to admit. A cinematic
7: orchestra special...
1: You know, Eska's kind of been around in the London music scene for a long time and she worked with Ty. She's done a lot of work through the whole Giles kind of thing. She's an amazing singer. She also has a choir that she heads every Sunday. I actually had Eska, come to Paris and we worked together on some backing vocal just for uh, some of the tracks. Just to sing and to have the intention and weight that Fontella has, you know, it's not an easy job. It's not about Eska singing like Fontella, but it's about a version of the song. You know, Eska sounded wonderful, you know.
0: By the time I got to the stage and then I'm hearing the first few bars of the intro, being a little bit nervous and inside thinking, Oh, well, people, they know I'm not Fontelabas. <laughs> 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 I can't hide that. Oh, gosh, they're probably really disappointed that I'm not Fontella Bass. and oh, oh, forget it, you know, let just do you, you know? And so, in the end, all I can be is honest. It's very honest music, very emotional and sincere music and it requires a sincere delivery. There's just some familiar faces that are in the crowd, and so much love was in the room. <laughs> I mean, imagine people had waited four years, I think, since the last cinematic orchestra album to eventually get to hear the new stuff. I think it was just a lot of excitement. I would not have been sincere by doing a "Stars in Their Eyes" performance, you know, kind of mimicking Fontella Bass. It would have been contradictory to the whole essence of what jason is about so i felt that the only thing i could bring was myself and that's in the end what i you know what i went for this almost as if imagine like a, if fontella had been there and she's singing the song to me and we're doing a duet and i'm responding to to her words
8: oh that song is singing Singing to me over everything I used to be. Oh, that song is singing, singing. It carries me... That weight is lifting, lifting on me, and it carries me. And it swallows me,
6: and it swallows.